word of God speak. Let it pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty. Our children are being dismissed right now. Go in with the folks who are helping them out. But as they are, I would invite you to turn with me to Psalm 119 today, the passage that Pastor Mary read earlier. And let's look together to Psalm 119. We'll have it on the screen as well in a moment. But let me just start at this place. You know what the last thing we need today in our world? The last thing we need is more Christian platitudes. More religious platitudes that say things like this. When God closes a door, he opens a window. Well, not always. Sometimes the door never opens. Or this one. I'll pray about it. If I feel like it. If it's God's will. Those are often words that we use to have an excuse to do nothing. Right? Or what about this one? Everything happens for a reason. Hmm. No, I don't think that's true. I think some things are even unreasonable to God. Or what about this one? God won't give you more than you can handle. Well, you know what the truth is? God often gives me things only He can handle. Right? So why this little rant about, about platitudes? Because I think we're tempted to reduce Scripture to just religious platitudes. Especially when it comes to the Psalms, we're tempted to reduce them to just religious platitudes. And that brings us to our text today from Psalm 19, which begins like this. Blessed are those. Same thing Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 at the start of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those. Sometimes we turn these words into a platitude or some kind of cliche. I feel so blessed. Blessed are those. So begins the longest psalm and the longest chapter in the Bible. 17 minutes and 29 seconds. Write that down somewhere. Maybe you can write that down or remember that. 17 minutes and 29 seconds. That's how long it takes to carefully, reflectively read through the 22 sections that have eight verses in each section of this psalm where every line in each section begins with the same Hebrew letter all the way through the Hebrew alphabet of the entire psalm. So this psalm is very deliberate in its order and it's very deliberate and distinct in its focus. 176 verses in the Bible on one theme. One theme. Over and over and over. And this is what we discover. The psalmist has a love affair. He has a love affair with Scripture. He has a love affair with the Word of God that remains intact, when you read the entire psalm, 
It remains intact even as the world around him and life before him and the soul within him is displaced and disjointed and disoriented. Even when it's all breaking loose around him, he stays tethered to the word of God. This amazing love affair. Diane Langberg is a psychologist and author and she expresses this love affair. I continue to be amazed at the life and depth of the Word of God, especially how it comes alive in new and challenging ways. I can spend years reading and studying particular passages, thinking I understand when suddenly I read it again and a new light from a different direction shines on that familiar word. Well, I wonder what new light should shine on this word today in your heart and my heart. The psalm begins with these words. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed suggests happiness and flourishing. The way of flourishing is the way of God, as learned in the Word of God. Yes, true. Goes on in verse 2. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. This is the way of flourishing. Blessed. But if you go to the very end of the psalm, you go to the very last verse of the psalm, Psalm 119 ends with words capturing a place where darkness seems to hide its face. Hide his face. The final verse says this. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. The idea is not that he's lost away from God, but even in his life with God, he has found himself in a lost place. Ever been there? Where you're just not sure. So to suggest that the Psalms, including this one, are simply collections of religious cliches is a mistake. Psalm 119, when you read through it, expresses praise and pleas for help, declarations of commitment and struggling hope, surges of joy in God's faithful love, and depths of despair in the harsh realities of life. All of that in the inspired Word of God, saddled alongside protest and trust, confession of wrong, and faithful obedience. And so what is it that this psalm offers us as we seek to figure out how to live life with the king? Well, you know what this psalm does? This psalm gives us language for our very real prayers. And it helps us see that Scripture is an anchor in every part of life. So why? Why pick up, why pick up this book? John Wesley said, I am a man of one book. Give me the book of God. Why pick up this book that represents 1,500 years of ancient life and tells a story of God's redemptive theme from another day? What does it have for us today? Well, that leads us to another question. It's our, everyone's question. And the question is this. What is your sacred text? What is your sacred text? Before you answer the Bible, think carefully, because everyone has a sacred text. Everyone. 
not just those who ascribe to a major religion. The theist has a sacred text. The atheist has a sacred text. The pastor or the bartender has a sacred text. Something that guides you. Something that defines you. Something that makes you do the things you do. It is what you turn to. It's what you seek to orient your life or how your life gets oriented in the world around us. It may be how you try to sense to, how do you try to make sense of the world. So it's really important that you know what your sacred text is. And just because we read the Bible doesn't mean it is the Bible. What are you tethered to is what we're really asking. The instructions of a benevolent king are intended to offer his subjects the greatest opportunity to maximize the benefits of his rule. To help us consider how the Bible can be this for us, consider how God's word points us to the path of life with the king, where we are intended to flourish. Our text helps us with that. Our text speaks to that today. And it helps us ask some questions. The first one is this. Am I on the way with God? Am I on the way with God? Blessed are those, verse 1, whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. The implication here is that a relationship with God is never static. We're never standing still in our relationship with God. Never is there a moment when we live in this static existence of religion. Relationships are dynamic, and that's especially true of the relationship we have with God. Now, before Paul the Apostle was the saintly Paul the Apostle, he was Saul the murderer who was bent on destroying Christians. But you see, he was not interested in just destroying someone who had some religious affiliation or had some kind of religious profession in words only. He didn't care about those people. In fact, there's a description given of the people that he persecuted in Acts chapter 9. It says this, Saul was asking for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he could then persecute them. But look at carefully how they're described. These were people who had committed to a specific way of life, a way of living, a way of thinking. They, they, they were committed to a specific way of a worldview. That's what our reading today even suggests in Psalm 119. There is a way to live as God's person in this world around us, a way that is framed and formed and fueled by Scripture. So as an aside, if this is the sum total of where you have your scriptural intake this week, just this morning, then you and I will be incredibly malnourished, lacking fuel within our spirits to live in this world. Some suggest that Psalm 119 is actually a full-length expansion of Psalm 1 which says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. 
That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. You see, there's a way to walk. There's a way to walk. The people of the way. Blessed are those who walk in the way of the Lord. That same murdering Saul became the apostle, the loving apostle St. Paul. And he wrote this. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So you see, what our passage this morning does, and really what this entire psalm does, is it dismisses the idea that we can just be spiritual. To be spiritual, that we have just this personalized spirituality. That's the favorite flavor of faith of the day. To just be spiritual. Just so it has an internal dimension. And it's solely privatized. That has become the favored faith, even among those who profess Christ, who make Christ just a matter of a personal relationship. But the reality is, relationship with God is also a matter of what is revealed and seen in the outward life. That leads us to the second question, which is, what is God's word to me? What is it? Well, the text continues in verse 4. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. It's always important when you're reading Scripture that when you see things repeated, repetition, there's a reason. And in our passage, we see it. Obeyed, obeying, and obey. There's this sense in this word that we're to be attending to the word of the king. We're to be attending to it. We're to be keeping it. We're to guard it like someone guards treasure in our lives. So think about that. There's some activity here. There's, some, there's this place where we are to be actively involved with what God says in the scriptures. So now listen to me closely on this, because what I'm about to say may sound like I am opposed to devotional material, and it may sound like that I'm against popular Christian books, or that I'm against inspirational blogs and vlogs and websites, but I'm not. But think about this. It seems we have adopted a method at times, two-pronged method, of devotional reading that is focused on, one focus on more being better. Just give me more. Give me more. If I can just go to this study or if I can just have this devotional or if I can just read this book, just give me more, give me more. More information. That if we read more devotionals or books about God, that we may gain more spiritual information and it may be helpful. Or we think, if I can just give myself on the other side of the spectrum, I just need five or ten minutes a day just to read my favorite devotional. That'll be enough. And what happens is, in both those cases, the Bible becomes a secondary source. Now, I read devotionals. 
There's certain websites I follow. I get all kinds of blogs sent to me intentionally that I want to help me go deeper with God. But our text today in Scripture reminds us that there's a direct correlation between the Scriptures reading my life and the actual living in relationship with God. That it's not just about getting a bunch of spiritual information. But it's about living with God as our king. Let me illustrate it this way. There's a great Old Testament story of King David that cultivates my imagination. I love this story. He's holed up in his battle against the Philistines, his arch enemy. And the Philistines have control of a little town of Bethlehem. And in Bethlehem, there's a well. And apparently it was a favorite well of David's. Maybe it was from when he was just a shepherd boy. Simpler times when things were easy. Well, one night as you read the text, it seems to me as I read it that David was just kind of wistfully thinking about that well and was just kind of talking off into the air and how much he was thinking about that well. Have you ever done that where you're just kind of, you're thinking about something, you're kind of lost, you're kind of lost where you are, you're just, oh, you know, I just, I remember that. This is how the text reads in 2 Samuel 23. David longed for water and said, oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from that well near the gate of Bethlehem. Would someone get that for me? When you read the whole story, you realize that David wasn't, you know, like expecting anyone to do it. He was just wishing. Then goes on and says, So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. David wasn't demanding that. He wasn't commanding them. He is whispering the desire of his heart. But the three loyal subjects of the king heard his heart. Here's the question. Why did they hear his heart? Here's the answer. They lived so close to the king. They lived so close to the king that they knew his very desires and they sacrificed everything, potentially everything, for the king's desires, not their own. You see, we know that he didn't command them because after they brought the water to him, he was so overwhelmed with their sacrifice and what they did that he poured it out and refused to drink it as an act of worship to God. You see, do I live so close to the king? Do I live so close to him that I know his heart? That I know his desires? That I know what he wants? And then, will I sacrifice for the king? See, that's the feel of these words of Psalm 119. They speak about living in such close proximity with God and his word that I have a sense of his desires, not perfectly, but I have a sense of what the kingdom of God is about. And, and I want to give my life to that, out of love for the king, to actually do something with this life for the king. That's the flavor of this, to obey him. 
perhaps there's not a truer statement than this from Bob Smentana. Religion is only as good as the people who practice it. <laughs> right? Religion is only as good as the people who practice it. Now, I know that today is a little bit of a day of mourning because the Patriots are not in the Super Bowl. You know, I get that. But there is a Super Bowl happening at 6.30. And you know what? Those guys, those guys are going to show up today, but like, like this is what's not going to happen. Some guy who played football in high school and who's now 35 years old, and he was a star football player in high school, but he hasn't played football since he was 19, is not going to show up at the stadium with his football gear and say, I'm here. I'm ready to play. Right? It's not going to happen. The people who are going to show up, all those, all those people are going to be in the stands watching. But the people who are going to show up and who are going to be on that gridiron, as it's called, are the people who have spent hours and hours and hours training and practicing. Practicing this play. Practicing this maneuver. Practicing this technique. And we think that all they do is they go out and run around on the field. No, 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 no. You ever see the book these guys carry around? They have their sacred text. It's the playbook. And what they do is they study it. They study it. They study it. They study it. So that something happens to them. Mike Glenn compares our lives to that. Like the pro athlete, followers of Christ have to practice, practice, practice our praying, our Bible reading, our love of our neighbors, forgiveness and grace, our care for each other, and we have to practice them until they become second nature, until we can do them without thinking. These practices have to become second nature to us. We have to practice, practice, practice until the nature of Jesus becomes our own. What this text asks me today is am I actually practicing Scripture? That's what it is. Read those eight verses again. Or as a penetrating question I was asked this week captures it. How many more sermons do I need to listen to to go and do something for God? That's a good question. Write that one down. How many more sermons do I have to listen to before I go and do something for God? Knowing the Bible is not enough. It's not. Knowing about God is not enough. This passage reminds us that the entire purpose of the Bible is not to form and fashion a defense of God. It's not to critique the culture with the scriptures. It's not about creating a basis for whatever position I'm taking. It's not simply about gaining religious information. The scriptures are to form and fashion. Their purpose is to form and fashion a relationship with God that results in living the way of God out of love for the desires of God, trusting that as a result of that, we will serve the purposes of God in the world. And there's another really good question. Is my life serving the purposes of God? How do I know that? Word of God speak, pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty.
That's the purpose of it, that we may actually show the world what a truly flourishing life looks like. Remember verse 2, blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. But here's the thing. It takes time to hear God's heart. It takes time with his scriptures to hear the word of God speak and for it to form my life. It's not a matter of information, but formation. And something changes when we read the scriptures, we come to them, we sit with them, and we ask questions like this. As we read, is there an invitation in this for me to obey God? Is there something I'm reading here that I need to obey? What is God calling me to in this situation as I read this scripture? Is there an encouragement to live differently in one of the areas of my life? Is this calling me to be more steadfast in living God's way? Is this helping me understand what faithfulness means to God and his people and the world? Does the world truly see my relationship with God beyond my words? What is this scripture saying to me? And that changes it. That shifts it. It now becomes that which I tether my life to. I think that's what Jesus meant when he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But this, my friends, is best discovered not in the 10-minute devotional on the YouVersion Bible app, though that's good. I do that on occasion. But in a love affair with the Scriptures. And it's there we answer this question. So why tether my life to God's Word? Augustine was the early church father who did not want to write a commentary on Psalm 119. Didn't want anything to do with it. He eventually did, this very large one. But he said this, On the surface, this psalm is so simple that it might be thought to require a reader or a listener only, not an expositor. He he thought you just needed to read this and take it in and do it. He thought it was just so clear. He's echoing what the New Testament writers affirmed about the raw power of Scripture. You know those words perhaps in Hebrews 4.12, what graphic picture this is of the power of Scripture. For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The Scriptures expose us to ourselves. I don't know about you, but sometimes I read the Scriptures and I go, ouch, I don't want that. But it exposes us. It, it finds us out. It, it, it reveals us. And it reveals God and His character and His nature and His desires for us. There's no way around it. There's no way around of living this life with the King, Jesus, there's no way around it unless we are finding ourselves tethered to this playbook, if you will, for the sake of the day, of the King. 
we're not going to, we're going to struggle. Because there's this promising potential in the raw scripture itself. So as we wind up this service, why don't we do what the early church father said? And why don't we, why don't we just be listeners and maybe catch a glimpse of why we need to tether ourselves to God's word. Here are some texts from Psalm 119 that have lodged themselves in my heart over the years in different seasons and spaces. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, O God. The earth is filled with your love, Lord. Teach me your decrees. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. By the way, that one especially makes me think of when it's dark. I need a lamp. I need a light. You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have nothing else to hope in where all I have is the tether to his word. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. The translation I learned this next one in is a little different. Stream, rivers of water flow down my eyes, for men do not keep your law. This translation is a little different. Rivers of water. Are, are, before I'm criticizing my world and my culture, am I crying first? Before I'm pointing out who the bad guys are and the good guys are, am I weeping first? That's what that says to me. Trouble and distress have come upon me, the psalmist says. But your commands give me delight. Doesn't say it's not happening. Doesn't say trouble and distress is not happening in the middle of it. And then these last words from Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have them that love your law, and nothing will cause them to stumble. Great peace have them who tether to the word of God. Nothing will cause them to stumble. It's not saying we're never going to face stumbling. It's not saying that, you know, it's going to all work out the way we want. It's saying that we're tethered to something eternal beyond what's happening even in our midst that day. When we're tethered to God's word, we have a grip on God's heart in the midst of life. We're exposed to his character that is true, his faithfulness and his unchanging love, his compassion and his justice and his mercy and his holiness and his peace. We are summoned to live life centered on and in God. We are tethered to God's heart and we're held there by God's grace. Thanks be to God. I thought earlier today about today, about this gathering, and I thought 
And I wrote, Today, cancer is coming to church. Heartaches coming to church. Pains coming to church. I also thought joy is coming to church. And peace is coming to church. And hope is coming to church. And people who love one another, yeah, love's coming to church too. And I thought, you know, if we really thought about that about one another and thought beyond what we just see, what would that do for us, for one another and the world? Somehow I believe that when we're tethered to God's word, it exposes our hearts to actually see both the world we live in and the God we serve and the people that are around. And we hear his scripture say, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Psalm 24, 1 and 2. And we say yes. And something happens where we're tethered. Especially when the wind is blowing hard. Our worship team is going to come and they're going to lead us in Michael W. Smith's song, Ancient Words. Ancient words ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts. Oh, let the ancient words impart. So my last question for today. Do you have 17 minutes and 29 seconds in your schedule today? For those of you who are going to watch the Super Bowl, it doesn't kick off till 6.30. So you have a good, you know, six, seven hours. Can you parse out 17 minutes and 29 seconds? Can you do that? And then read all 176 verses of Psalm 119 and simply ask, Word of God, speak. Pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty. Be still and know that you're in this place, God. 17 minutes and 29 seconds. And simply ask, God, tether me to your word, O God, that I may be held firm in your grip. Psalm 119 invites us to that. Psalm 119 invites us to the instructions of a benevolent king. And that is what it means be tethered to the Word of God. That is what it means to live life with God as King. Let's stand together.